Well, it's Tuesday. Mona, how are you? I hope you're not jet lagged anymore. I am not. It's great to be with you. I'm on uh, East Coast time. I am on Central time. So we have a full roster of things to talk about, and I want you to explain almost all of them to me. (laughs) So what's on your mind this morning? What's on my mind this morning is something of great significance, which we don't talk about enough, Charlie, and it is our losing battle with our inboxes. Oh, my God. I... (laughs) I'm so frustrated by those people who send you emails and send a tiny little print that's very, very faint at the bottom. You have to search for it. It says, if you would like to stop receiving emails, click here to unsubscribe. And then, oh, and sometimes they make you fill in your email, you know, to to, to unsubscribe, which, of course, they shouldn't have to because they know who you are. Right. Scam, scam, scam. Meanwhile, you unsubscribe and they say sometimes it can take a few days. They never, I mean, almost never abide by this. And you keep getting bombed with all of this junk. And it's like... You're swimming against the current. You keep, you know, every now and then, I, th- I heard you say this before we started, and I do it too. Like every now and then I say, okay, I'm going to war with my inbox. I am going mm-hmm. to be victorious. And I clean the whole thing out. And within no time at all, it's just back. And it's so frustrating. And in the age of AI, Charlie, see, if I can't win against my inbox, how am I going to cope? with a super smart computer that's going to um, control my life. It feels hopeless. So what does what your inbox look, <laughs> look like? Full disclosure. All right, let me open it. because Because I'm thinking that you've done a really good job. You are really that you're conscientious about it. And, and I w- want my <laughs> inbox to be more like, so how many do you have like unread emails? Uh, um, 20 rough rounding out with all three different addresses. It gets to about 26,000. Oh, you have me beat badly. <laughs> I am embarrassed to say this. I'm looking at my screen as soon as you brought this up and like the first page is <laughs> one to 50 of 89,443. <laughs> what are they doing out there? I just, where are they? 89,000. And part of it is, and you can probably imagine what my office looks like because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I should clean it out versus, geez, I might want those someday. Right. There's there's going to be, there's going to be an email that I'm going to want to look up. I'm going to want to retrieve and I will have deleted it, which is how I ended up here. (laughs) 89,000. I know it's. Oh my God. And by the way, that's only primary. I don't even know. Oh oh no. No, tell us, tell us. No, this is a joke. Okay. This is primary. This is Gmail. Yeah. Okay, 89,443. Now, I thought that that would be a combination, but if I click on promotions, oh, it's, it says I have 85,818 <laughs> and social, which I never read because it's all from LinkedIn and I have no idea how LinkedIn works. <laughs> I have 11,368. So by the way, if anybody ever wants to communicate with me, do not try sending me anything on Facebook or LinkedIn. I, I literally never look at them. I just, I have no idea, never figured it out. Yeah. I, I got kicked off Facebook a few years ago. I don't know why. I, I had stopped using it. Maybe that's why. I had stopped using it because I was tired of seeing all these people that I knew posting 
pro-Trump stuff. Yeah. So I just stopped looking at Facebook altogether. And then I got a, I got a message a couple of years later saying you've been kicked off Facebook. And I never bothered to examine why or, you know, inquire. I just thought, fine, I'm not using it anyway. I don't care. Yeah, I think I think you can live a long and healthy life without ever looking at any of that, though. I will confess that I do have a very, very small Instagram account, um, which is basically just kids and dogs. That's all I want. No, very little politics. Now I'm really confessing my ignorance, but I don't care. There are two different um, social media sites that do photos. One is Instagram and the other is Snapchat, right? Yeah. And Snapchat is the one that disappears right away. Is that right? You send photos and then they go poof. Is that right? We're just digging ourselves a hole here, Mona. <laughs> This is not good for us. We're we're going places that we don't know. Okay, you're right. Okay, so let me, let me tell you. Um, I was at a um, a conference at an undisclosed location, Phoenix, Arizona, last week. That uh, <laughs> and we you, you and I talked about it because you were you were in London, and I keep thinking about something I heard there um, that I wanted to bounce off you. One of the discussion items. I'm not going to name any names here. But one of the discussion items that we got to was the the question of. Now, how do you defend liberal, we talk a lot about democracy. What we really mean is liberal constitutional democracy. I'm not going to get into the whole republic versus democracy thing. but So it it is about small L liberalism, and we're combating the rampant illiberalism that we're seeing around the country. And and, and the point was raised by many of of the people there, including me, that you cannot defend liberalism against illiberalism if you ignore the illiberalism on the left. Now, this is not to say that it's equivalent, but we have a two-front war here. And there was an interesting discussion about how do we deal with this. And the best analogy, the best description of this, and I've been trying to find out whether anyone has written it, so this is why I wanted to ask you about it, because you would know about this, was to compare what, uh, you know, the, the various threats, that dealing with the anti-democratic illiberalism of the MAGA right is a heart attack. But the illiberalism of the left is more like cancer. So they're both serious. But in terms of what you need to focus on right now, we need to focus on the heart attack. Someone has a heart attack, you don't worry about the chemotherapy. You just, you save the patient. What we are confronting with Donald Trump, who's going to be the Republican nominee, this is the instantaneous heart attack, but it's naive to think that we also do not have a problem. Now, for the people who are saying, well, you're both sidesism or, you know, it's you're drawing a moral equivalence. So we're actually making a distinction here between what we need urgently to focus on, but also acknowledging that this thing is real. And, and I think I think it's a problem for some of our more progressive listeners and readers that sometimes they will pretend as if it doesn't even exist. So we don't even talk about it. Oh, yes. Members of my family actually even, um, you know, argue that it's way exaggerated and it's not really an issue. And there are a number of ways you can track that it is an issue. One of them is when you look at polling, you know, of young people and, well, of Americans in general, but even of, you know, college students and others who say, you know, how often do you self-censor because you're afraid that you can't 
say what you think without fear of retribution. And it's very, very high. People are feeling stifled. They're, they're feeling afraid to express themselves because of a rigid sort of censoriousness that is out there. And, you know, censoriousness, these are not easy things. It's not easy to draw the lines. I mean, you want people to think that certain kinds of opinions are kind of out of bounds, right? And yet, when those lines start to shrink and shrink and shrink to the point where, for example, we all agree, right, that it is out of bounds to use the N-word. It's so offensive. It's like beyond the bounds and people should not do it and they should be punished for using it. But when professors just refer to the term in a course about racism or so on, and they are punished because they mouth the forbidden words, then you're getting into an area that's that's lost its moorings, right? And that has become crazy. And so that's the sort of thing I think it, these distinctions are hard to draw. And you understand that sometimes it's well-intentioned as in forbidding the N-word. Other times it's not so well-intentioned. It's intended to intimidate and bully people. And then one other thing I would say about you know, and you were talking, I think, last or two weeks ago about Richard North Patterson, right? Who wanted to wanted to write a book that was about race and class and issues that are perennials in our lives in our country, and he got blowback because he himself is white. And yes, you know, yes. if you impose that kind of a standard, which is very common on the left now, you know, there are people whose books have been canceled because they were the wrong ethnicity. And they tried to write, and by the way, they tried to write completely sympathetically about other people's life experience. And this is ruled out of bounds. Well, in that case, you're giving up on the idea of human empathy in general, right? I mean, it's, you know, I don't need to know what's in your heart because I see your skin color and therefore- Well, that's exactly, very reductionist. Yeah. yeah. And so- as crazy as the right is and as and as vicious as the right is these days, it's still true that we are in a dialogue and that things that happen on the left do stimulate the right to be even worse. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today 